Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the immense pleasure of chatting with Joe Reynolds. How are you, Joe? I'm very, very well. Thank you, love. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Really good. Just before I hit record, um, I asked you, did your lipstick match your hair? And, and, and it does, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Deliberate, deliberate. Not easy to find the matching shades. What, what, what shade is it? Just out of curiosity. God knows. Eric, my <laughs> partner. <laughs> my partner does my hair. And he's like, he's been doing it for years and he's so good at my hair. So I don't even try and remember anymore. And I've got a lipstick, a red lipstick. Any red is, a, you know, is a good red, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There you go. I, I feel slightly underdressed. I wish I'd have put a little bit more effort in. Um, yeah, into this. Put a shirt on. I, I could, yeah. Apologies. Apologies. I'll know for next time. For episode two, <laughs> uh, we will, uh, I'll make sure I dress up a little bit more. Anyway, so for those people who don't know who Joe is, who is Joe Reynolds? And I wish you got to sit in this seat today. Yeah, good question, isn't it? Thank you. Um, shall I? Go for it. Shall I begin? Yes. Yeah, so I was, um, I'm a very independent, independently, is there such a word, independently minded girl? So when I was growing up, all I really wanted to do was like to be completely independent of my family. So, so as soon as I was old enough, I started to look for a job. And in those days, Back in the 80s, early 80s, it was really, really hard to find a job. My friends were at grammar school in Wales, and I decided to um, try just to get out as quickly as I could. So I got four O-levels and looked um, like <laughs> I looked in the police cadets and the this, that and the other. And then I moved up to Norwich to be with my dad, and there was an advert for junior firefighters wanted and I didn't have a clue what it was, honestly. But I thought, well, I'm, I'm just applying for anything I see. So I applied for it. And the next thing you know, I got a letter inviting me to this interview. And uh, <laughs> so there was like a series of unexpected things that went on. I turned up at this uh, yard and it was like, you know, 600 boys, all 17 year old and me. Wow. And, there I, <laughs> and the last thing you ever want to do in life is just stand out. But I was really there standing out. They made me do all these, they did more, all of us, they made us do these exercises. Like you had to hang from an from a ladder up in the air, 40 foot in the air to see if you were scared of heights and touch. Thank God I wasn't. Yeah. Then you had to like cover your face, crawl through tarpaulins. And again, who knew? But no, I, I wasn't claustrophobic. And the last thing they asked you to do was to put a 12 stone dummy over your shoulder and run 100 yards under a minute. <laughs> and I managed it and I can remember thinking if I don't do this if I fail you know who knows if they'll ever ever let any women through this you know process again you just can't tell and it, I just felt so um, kind of determined to do things and I didn't know I could do it because I've never tried to do it before and so unbeknown to me, it was the first time that that uh, Norfolk Fire Service had opened up the doors to women. And it was also the first time that they'd opened it up to 17-year-olds. Um, so it's like a junior firefighter course back in 1982. So that was the first uh, series of interviews. That was the first one, the physical one. And yeah, so who knew I, I wasn't claustrophobic or <laughs> could hang upside down from ladders. The next one was at, at White Gates and Heatherset, which is where their headquarters is. And it's like this massive old kind of country house mansion. And I turned up there. Again, you're only 17 years old. I got like a waitressing outfit on because I was waitressing locally. Turned up there and I got called upstairs and it was like this long table in a room in a country house. And yeah, they're saying to me, well, why do you think you should uh, join the fire service? You know, won't you be a danger for the men to be around? And how can we be sure that you'll be safe or they'll wow. be safe if they work with you? You know, what happens if you've got different ideas later on in life? It's like, oh, wow. it's heavy, isn't it? So I just said, well, if you train me properly, it, I, 
you know, I don't think any of this will be a problem. And I don't know where that came from. I really don't. But <laughs> I just threw it back at them. So, God, I don't know the answer to any of these questions. How can anyone know? It's so big, isn't it? And I didn't know anything about the fire service. But it did the trick. And then <laughs> next thing I know, I'm turning up at Wyndham to start what was a 15-month recruits course for junior firefighters. Uh, here she comes, the first girl, hailed as the first woman, you know, in the UK. And I didn't know any of it. So it was a mystery to me. And, of course, the most hideous thing is when you start a job, all you want to do is not be stand out, isn't it? You just want to get on and, you know, yeah. keep your head down. And there's the press. So it's like local television, the radio, loads of journalists and newspapers Anyway, so that was the start of 15 months training. We got, there was not one facility for a woman and I was wearing a man's outfit, of course. Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah, lovely look, isn't it, for a 17-year-old? Yes, I turned up there. They hadn't even got like a toilet or any changing rooms. They'd, um, they'd put a curtain between the five boys on the course and me and the boys kept pulling the curtain back and they're like having a peek at me getting changed. Excuse me. So I said, I, I waited one day and I stood there in like my sports bra and pants. And I pulled the curtain back and I went, Now will you off? Like, yeah. you know, just like, and that apparently did the trick. And they then, the, the lad said, Then they knew that I'd got a sense of humor or, you know, that they could, like, it wasn't, it was going to be all right working with me, as it were, because I didn't take any nonsense from them. Yeah. So that was that, really. The lads were great. Uh, all of the instructors were great. Um, one particular instructor was difficult. He was a nasty, nasty man. But I went to check recently, and the way he was with us, this one particular instructor, like really kind of almost evil, sort of nasty, nasty. He still scares grown men. So I checked back recently when I was writing the book. I was like, I went to the fire station to see the people who, you know, used to work with who are now retiring, the like granddads, you know, on the Harley Davidsons. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, mm. Yeah, he's this man still scares grown like grown men of our age. So we had one guy like that. Wow. Apart from wow. that, yeah, it was like, yeah, there's always one, isn't there? But apart from that, the lads were great. And the only trouble I had was going around some of the stations on secondment during our training period, that 15 months, they, um, there were some stations that like, you know, well, I'm not speaking to you. My wife said, I'm not allowed to speak to you. Another one was like, yeah, you know, some people completely kind of ignored me. Other people tried too hard but a lot of the guys were like we, you know you're a publicity stunt we don't really want you here you know we don't want you here and we know what's happening you're just there to make the brigade look good and there's no way you're going to last through the course you know they really it was like the year earlier it's 1982 so it's very <laughs> dark yeah. times for women can I just ask you a couple of questions yeah of course only because like, what you've articulated so far is and, and this part of your journey um you have stood out quite a, in quite a few different situations. The day when you turned up for the recruitment, being the only um, female, um, and then walking into the room and, and being challenged and, and asking those inappropriate questions at that point in time during an, an interview process. How did you feel? God, I don't know. I just... I think... I think when it happens, it's so fast, isn't it? These things, you know, you just think, I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest, in the fire brigade. I didn't know firefighters. I hadn't got a history of anyone I knew in the service in that respect, but I just didn't know what to do. I just kind of answered from my heart with these things or just, you know, it's like, <laughs> They're, and my mum always used to say, they're going to stare, let them, you know, it's like the whole thing, and they're going to stare anyway, because I'm tall and <laughs> kind of kind of a bit lanky or whatever. And people always look at me because I'm tall. Even in assembly at school, I was like half, everyone else was like half my height because <laughs> yeah. everyone was in Wales. Everyone says so much smaller. So I was really tall and everyone else was pretty small. But no, it is horrible standing out. And yeah, what you do, just kind of try and find a way to uh keep going through it all and hope that it change you know you have to pray that it's all going to change in time you just keep going keep going keep going 
But but you've got two choices, haven't you? You can you can either turn around yeah. or, or keep going. Um, yeah. And, and what was it that made you keep going? I'm quite bloody minded, you know. I was known in the end like spiky red-headed girl. That's my temper. So I've got quite a, a spiky temper naturally. Um, and I, I'm super determined. And especially if someone says you can't do it, you know, I'm instantly like, well, yeah, I'll show you a kind of attitude. So I'm like, if you say I can't do something, I'll be doing it. That's for sure. Um, hence, you know, me having to, my poor mum and dad, you know, growing up, because I used to kind of, do things that you know you're not meant to but I didn't really care I like having my head I guess is the thing isn't it and also the other thing is with the fire service as soon as like literally the day I started the press were there and you think once again they're going to be they're following me now if I fail you know what happens then there are no I didn't see any other women you know only the control room ladies there were no women apart from wives Uh, so I was like a species from Mars almost, but you think, well, if it means that someone along can come along and do, you know, it is going to be a great job. You can tell, like tell half in training. It's, it's a fantastic job because you don't know what's going to happen next. It's a real challenge. You've always sensed it's almost, you know, you learn to do first aid, you learn to, you know, life save in any, any particular environment, you know, kind of upside down back to front with half with half your equipment missing so you end up being like a superhero firefighter so fit and capable of doing your job and you get that feeling about I I got that about two-thirds of the way through the training when you put the breathing apparatus on you're training by now you're doing physical training all day every day really classroom training so yeah you end up you end up knowing, you get to a point, you think, actually, I know I can, I can do this now. It takes, takes time, doesn't it? Especially in a new job. But then you think, yeah, I know I can do this. No one's going to stop me now. <laughs> wow. Wow. And when, when you said your introduction right at the start, you said um, you're an independent. Um, yeah. And had you always been independent? And when you just um, said that story, shared that story then, you said that when you were growing up, you were doing things that you, uh, you maybe shouldn't yeah. have always done. Had you always been independent or was there a moment in your life that, that kind of no. gave you the confidence to be independent? No, I think I was always um, independent minded. I'm like an Aries. So yeah, fire sign. And that's me all over. As soon as I could, even to the point where we, when we grew growing up in Wales, we lived in, um, we lived in a, a cottage in a kind of uh, part of the country that was really pretty. So we'd get loads of tourists in the, in the summer. So my family rented out our house and we lived in a caravan in the back of the garden. And I insisted on having the, like a little shed of my own behind the caravan because I can't bear to be, I like to have my own kind of space. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so, uh, so, so when you started on your 15 month um, training, yeah. And th- there were no facilities for you. You, you hadn't been catered for. Um, <laughs> and, and it was, and I, I guess, how did that feel? Did, did you feel like you were part of the fire, uh, fire service at that time? Or or did you not? I think I didn't, I didn't even give it a thought, to be honest, because it was only like looking back on it that you think how ridiculous it was that, you know, I was trying to. But on the other hand, because I'm the shape I am, I fitted a man's uniform without any trouble um so I, I didn't the the lads and I on the training course we were very much the same you know we were the recruits so we were being trained as a group so we suffered together you know so being part of the brigade wasn't really me not being part of the brigade it's like as a new recruit in that team we you know we weren't till we kind of proved it yeah got you got you and then the 15 month training happened yeah, um, yeah. and and were you successful yeah, I was successful. Yeah, passing out parade. Of course, there's loads more press there. <laughs> yeah, they're all there then, aren't they? It's like, yeah, she's made it. Then, of course, they're like, well, what happens next? You know, so it's like, okay, passing out parade. The dignitaries come along, the family come along, and there's a big celebration. Then, yeah, I was posted to a Thetford in Norfolk, which is, a, yeah, a, a, a kind of a, a town that was um, – it was a London overspill town. So it started out as a really pretty small town. Then it gradually got built out, built out with loads of factories and estates. 
so I was it was a great place to be um, stationed because <laughs> it was like a lot happening and when I got there the chap running the place Nigel Monument said to me right just stop running everywhere and just enjoy like being here and doing your job he said you don't have to prove anything to me and you know as far as I'm concerned you're one of the team you've made it this far you know so just welcome aboard and just you know do what you need to do how did that feel Joe that was amazing isn't it you know yeah and he's like what a guy really big guy six foot two very calm always calm moustache like a Mexican just to sit there rolling up his cigarettes all the time yeah the voice of Carl yeah no I mean so yeah because that that experience then is different to all of your previous experiences exactly it It is yeah I've gone from people like saying you know sort of mumbling away and you could tell either people would like try and help you too much and it's like just leave me alone like guys some not the guys training but on the stations so it's like yeah thank god someone kind of gets it and we did have to do promote probation exams so it wasn't the testing wasn't over but essentially me being under scrutiny for being a girl was over in that respect and uh, yeah it's quite funny because we were, I was always being mistaken for a guy and being thrown out of like toilets everywhere you know going to a toilets for fire prevention inspections like you can't go in there they're banging on the door yelling at <laughs> And one lady, even a fire, and she rang me, she rang up her granddaughter. It was a fire we went to, chimney fire. She said, yeah, I've got this handsome young man here. He's just put the fire out. And I was like, oh, God, it's going to go. Because I look like, a, you know, like a lad, really. Um, yeah, no hair down, lipstick, no makeup at all. So it's the man's uniform still. Back to, I was posted to Thetford. Yeah, Nigel Monument in charge. And it was great. It just was busy, busy, busy. Factory fires, chemical clouds, you know, everything you could possibly dream of being attending as a firefighter. Lots of suicides in the woods. We had, um, yeah, loads of, there's air bases near us. So there was munitions and, you know, there was all sorts of nuts of stuff going on there. What what were the rest of the team like, Joe? they were great they were really great yeah they were great and in those days we used to have um, bars on stations so we had a massive we used to set the old we used to take the fire engines out the front of the station and put these massive old curtains across and we'd have like discos and christmas parties and firework parties and you know we used to drink such a lot there <laughs> i think the firefighters in the day did but you know now they don't have the stations or you know that even when I did the book the, the editor she's like Joe you've got to cut some of these drinking scenes out because it doesn't put you in very good light so so how long were you in the fire service for and, and I would say yeah. Oh, yeah sorry go on no 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 it's great because yeah I got I was in Thetford and Nigel just said do you want to drive the fire engine do you want to learn to drive so I was like yes yes I do did that yeah. and then but after a few years, I started to get itchy feet. I've got very itchy feet, and off I went. Um, one of the chaps who was a firefighter at Thetford who turned up there, David Blakeney, a character like from a movie, he came along bald head. He was like hardcore, and he'd been in the Spanish Foreign Legion. And um, yeah, so he, and he'd moved back to Thetford, turned up at our station, and um, what a creature. He, he got bored after a while too. And he said, I'm going to go and work on expeditions abroad. So off he went to South America. And then I realized, you know, actually my, a lot of my heart has gone with him. And he rang up. And in those days, if you wanted to speak to someone in like South America, in the Peru, in the jungle, you know, it's a really difficult thing to do. So you'd have like maybe a minute and it's all crackly. And he's like, do you want to come? You know, he said, do you want to marry me? Uh, he said, mum's said we can have an income of 400 pounds a month and she'll, that we can travel on that. <laughs> so off I go. So that's wow. it, 1989. Yeah, handed my notice in. It's a bit awkward, but, you know, I didn't have anything to prove to anyone or to myself I guess it's more a case of right and I'm I have just got this need to keep you know challenging a challenging yeah. environment challenging myself so off I went and we went to traveling in South America kind of in the hardcore days they were it was absolutely brilliant you know boats up the river in the Amazon and 
days and days in the jungle or well, weeks and months actually wow yeah. wow okay so yeah. just a couple of quick questions sure how yeah sure um, when you were applying for the fire service yeah uh, what did your family say oh they loved it I mean my mum was always really positive so she's a real cheerleader and yeah dad too they were very you know they were very yeah there was no one going you can't do that yeah <laughs> what you did <laughs> there was no yeah amazing yeah. amazing and then when you decided to hand your notice in yeah what did your family say then uh, they know me too well they know if I decided to do something there's no point in anyone going well you've spent all that time you know effort on training it was only really when I look back and did start to write fire woman that I thought my god I went through all that <laughs> and then I left <laughs> yeah. what, did, what did the rest yeah. of your team say to you at the time yeah, and Nigel you... then yeah yeah that was quite sad because we get really really close you know when you're working with these people so we, and and it was quite a big team in in the end so you've got whole timers and you've got retained people who came in for when we needed extra people so yeah it was a lot of people to say goodbye to and we used to be so close with the firefighter you know with the families with the discos with the barbecues and the this is and that so it's like you're saying goodbye to sort of not just the people you work with but also you know their families and the little ones and everything so it's quite a difficult thing to do to to go yeah you know yeah so, so you were saying bye to a lot but what were you saying hello to Oh gosh, adventure. <laughs> yeah. And again, because, you know, we didn't have kind of growing up in, in those days, we didn't know anything about the world. You know, it's like I went to maybe on, on holiday to America once to Disneyland and that was kind of a big deal. So yeah. then to all of a sudden kind of be, you know, in the middle of the Amazon when there's nothing, there's no <laughs> nothing around no one really around it's very you're there on the ground in another world and again in those days there was nothing you know there's no kind of uh, internet or hardly any telephone so actually I love all that I like to know I like to be in a place where no one knows where I am so like in my later life happy my happiest time is when no one knows my address you know kind of in Asia (laughs) it's like great I like to be out of out wow. of reach almost yeah what was the, what was the bigger <laughs> challenge being the only lady in the fire service or being in the amazon pretty much oh, the all amazon no that wasn't actually because of david he um with his hardcore kind of training so he was like you know he, he, no one would come near us or him particularly because he could speak sort of gutter spanish and yeah and like army spanish so the only thing that would ever happen would he'd have ended up in fighting with someone but so people kind of gave us a i think they sort of steer clear of us you know no one ever would have come near us to kind of steal our rucksacks or anything like that because we kind of looked yeah quite hardcore really wow how how long were you there for uh we were there for a few months yes and we traveled then across to um Ecuador to I can't forget the names of the places now near Colombia on the bottom of Colombia and that was back in the day when there was all the fighting going on so, so and then yes and then we came back through um the states we in those days um students if they want to find a way to get their car from where their university was to their home you you could just apply to drive their car so we got to New Orleans and then we drove up to New York using and it was like a, you had for seven days or something like that to do it in I don't know if it still happens but yeah it's a brilliant way to travel yeah, we'd wow. hope to get a ship you know for of course but you know no ships <laughs> keto <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow and and so when did you come back home oh my goodness it would be oh maybe three or four months yeah and then we went off to um, South America, no, pardon me, to uh, Asia. Yeah. And there was some of our friends were doing uh, Everest Marathon. They were putting the Everest Marathon on and they asked if we'd help take care of the runners. So we did some like acclimatization, like trekking, and then turned up, you know, in, in the, yeah, ready to do the Everest Marathon and take care of these runners. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some people that I talk to that have got, I've had a really random um, and crazy journey. Um, and then there's you, Joe. And I think 
what a journey you've had, isn't it? And yeah. and we're not yet at the end of your story, are we? <laughs> so I've had about so, nine nine lives. That's what I pitched actually. It's, it's the book was Nine Lives. Yeah, the nine lives of Josephine Reynolds. Yeah, and they're like, no, my <laughs> <laughs> woman it is. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 what followed? What what followed these 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 times? that I got back to Setford um, in time with David. We went to India, Asia, Thailand, back to England, and then we broke up. So that wasn't very much later, only about two or three years. Yeah, so I think we just, you know, it was all too intense, too together, and yeah, we drove each other nuts. I'm not easy to live with, and he isn't particularly either. And that was that, so I was there, and I was like, dang now I've got to find a job so I've got no income I'm back in Zetford god it's a bad place isn't it so what am I going to do and I ended up working for a company who do jade's fluid um in and they've got their kind of one of their um places is in Zetford so you go into this massive like tower block of office and it overlooks the uh, forest and there's all these factories below where they make the bleach there and disinfectants and things like that. So I just found any job. So I didn't starve really. And then that took me into their buying office. And um, yeah, so I went from taking orders of, for the ladies taking the bleach orders down to the buying office. And that was like the next thing for me because I realized I love buying, I love factories and I like production as sad, sad as it sounds. So yeah, so I ended up in the... Um, becoming a packaging buyer, so spending, you know, thousands, tens of thousands on uh, printed packaging. Um, And then met someone and he had, the chap in Setford who I met, he'd, um, Tim, been offered a job up in Lincolnshire, well, no, actually come near Stam, in Stamford, which is a, a little way from Setford. So I moved up with him, found, looked for another job, and this time it was um, buying, it was buying packaging for a company, but it's different. So this is a company in Spalding who take plants that, and they sell millions of plants into supermarkets, but they do it in containers like glass containers, ceramic pots, basketware. So I got there and I didn't know the job at all. I went to the, uh, like the filing cabinet and there was an order for terracotta pots to come from Portugal but I hadn't got I really did not know what I was doing Uh, so I went to Portugal to see the factory and then that sort of started a whole new huge phase where I fell in love with the job I was doing it was so much fun traveling around you know going to these factories finding factories and having them make samples for the supermarkets so they had something bespoke all the time you know in the right price in the right place at the right time and then that ultimately took me to um, a business with another lady, Julia Weaver, was another woman supplying to this, um, you know, marketplace. And she at the same time, we'd, I'd been doing my job over some years and I loved it, you know. And then all of a sudden something changes and it's a new management team and a new director or an MD. And he's like, Joe, one of us is, is going to have to leave and it's not me. So... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah we yeah I can't help myself if I fight you know I started to fight with him because I didn't agree with what he was doing with the yeah. suppliers and the product so I said to Julia and she was having a really bad time as well with her partner and I said why don't we start our own business Julia and it's like okay and that was that so we you know put the thing together we hadn't got a clue I read all these books how to start a business you know on your own uh, learned it all, taught myself at Excel and would turn up to the bank with like homemade kind of projections. And I was like, well, where are the sales? You know, you've got your overheads. Sales? <laughs> I don't know. How does anyone project sales? So, yeah, we spent some time with our accountants in the bank and eventually they yeah, kind of made, put together a business plan. And that was the start of Silk Road Design Company Limited in 2000 so there we were Julia had great experience of Asia if of China and I had really good experience of um of of Europe with regard to products and packaging yeah yeah and that was that so we had we started like with one girl in China and then we ended up with a proper trading company based in Shenzhen so I stayed in Shenzhen doing mostly troubleshooting 
And we were supplying at Harrods, you know, M&S, Tesco, with all this volume product, right place, right time. Wow. Because um, we... Yeah, I know. It's like that was what, and that's what we'd been doing for our other co- the other companies. But then we did it for ourselves. Imagine. And you know, we knew we know what needs to happen to make things go right. That's the thing in Asia. It's not an easy place to trade from. But yeah, all of a sudden we'd gone through and like, and we, sh- you know, she sold her car she, or her mum's car. So we kind of we were right down in like having no money again, like nothing. And then yeah, put the money into the business, and gradually we started to you know get there dividends and this and that and holidays yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and being like in in hong kong and going shopping and saying and i i can buy anything i want you know that feeling it's such an unusual feeling for someone who hasn't grown up with much money it's such a nice like wow you know and, ah, made it <laughs> yeah. and then as you might expect after about six years yeah, I'd had enough and I started to get really itchy feet. So we'd gone, the business was successful. We'd had, as you would expect, we'd had some times when things went really badly wrong. Um, you know, the product that, you know, product problems, supply, cust- pardon me, problem is some, one of the customers wouldn't pay us, at, you know, those kind of things where you think you're pretty much covered on everything and then something happens that is out, really out of your control. Yeah. Even though we were as controlling as we could be, you know, we've got QC teams everywhere and, but yeah, so we had a few rocky, real rocky moments, but essentially it went really well. And then in 2006, I said, Julia, I want to, um, I was because I was out in Asia most of the time. I said, I really want to, uh, you know, I want to like retire to, <laughs> and, uh, you know, do nothing for a while. And that somebody had suggested to me that the company, because I was like so in, into the company and a friend of mine, he's like, Joe, if you leave, they can manage without you. It's like, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> How yeah. would they manage without me? And sure enough. So, yeah, so she was all right. I took a bit of money out and bought myself a house in Thailand, which I rented out. And so that was in 2006. And the intention was was just to never work properly again in my mind I thought if I can manage that I'll be happy yeah. you know never be at anyone's beck and course that was that and then yes I spent you know a, a good time partying out there got used to the environment fell in love with it and yeah so that was on Coast Samui and back in the, those days so it was really kind of another wild west place but gradually you know 2008 2009 more and more hotels and kind of spas and yoga places turned up yeah and uh yeah one of my friends there connie we used to she was a german girl and uh she'd say she, she, we used to just spend a lot of time having fun really and she said to me one day joe i'm gonna go to i'm moving to cambodia she said i want to go and work with children and i was like why she said i've got to go i can't stay on the island anymore because she'd had some kind of problems you know health problems and she was struggling and yeah she thought the best thing she could do leave Thailand for a bit get healthy then go to Cambodia and she's going to work with children I was like you, you know we haven't got no you haven't got children I haven't all we do is like have fun yeah. she's like no off she went yeah the next time I saw her she looked great she turned up there found a fabulous place to volunteer a charity in uh, CM Reap called Build Your Future Day Centre run by a man who had been uh, in when the Khmer Rouge came along, he and his family had been pushed out, you know, to the camps and then they escaped into Thailand, found their way into UN camps. So this was he was only about 17, this lad at the time, but now when I met him, he was at 70. So yeah. that was those years later. And yeah, she found this chat. And what he was doing was working in a four year cycle of self sustainability to turn people's lives around. Because what happened after the war had finished, they came back home to Siem Reap area and the police started to bring Seta and his wife, the children from the street, because they knew they were a safe place. And then Seta's like, we wanted to try and get them back to their families, but you can't because you give them back to their families and they just can't even feed them. They can't feed. They have nothing, you know, nothing. And no way of making anything. So what he realized what he needed to do was kind of set up almost like a program, teach the families or the parents to read and write, the older people to read and write their own language. So get that teaching back, teach them how to help them to create self-sustainability, whether it's like a little fish farm or a pig farm, 
teach them how to because everyone had lost the ability to know how to what to eat even you know sustainability and and so, so kind of how to what crops to grow how to grow them um trees schools so he essentially was doing everything building the schools having the teachers employed you know and make sure the salaries were paid wow. garden school gardens and right yeah so everything wells mother and child centers in a mod- modest way but they were working and by the time I got to um I went up there <laughs> he was on about 34 villages later so he's doing it village by village almost like a thousand people in a village ish and it was like <laughs> it's like my god Wow. So I turned up there as well to help. And yeah, that was it. Another life, isn't it? So you see a complete side of things you never even realised was out there. How people lived, you know, how how desperately difficult it is for some people. Because as an expat, you never see all that, really. You don't really understand where you're at. So yeah, Cambodia, meeting Seta, um, staying in CME by now, calming down a it and I because I knew if I stayed in Thailand I would end I would have ended up probably in a clinic because <laughs> it's yeah. easy to take drugs everywhere it's really so I thought oh, at least here you know I can distance myself from that there is a lot of partying here but it's kind of a safer it's still partying but not that same encouragement or ease as it were so yeah so that was and I volunteered there um uh, to, I volunteered to try to I was trying to find help ways fundraise for him so and also then be like a kind of English speaking person in the office because he can speak English but not brilliantly yeah. so that's what I so I and again it's like Connie had gone there and I thought I thought what on earth how on earth can I offer my volunteering skills because I haven't really got any I don't teach you know or anything great you know sort of sensible but yeah there's always something yeah and really? that then exposed me to yeah that exposed me to a whole group community of people in Siem Reap who were writers and photographers humanitarian people and that again then took me into wanting to tell stories so some of the people I knew were going down to different um, catastrophes taking you know telling the stories of the people kind of who were the forgotten ones and that took me to um to uh yeah, to back to Nepal, actually, spooky enough, after the earthquake in 2015. And I got up there and the woman from UN, woman, Southeast Asia, she said, Joe, will you write for us? I was like, wow, yeah, I'd love to. So I've been doing a bit of journalism, writing, but it was very much kind of, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I just, so I was just getting published a few here and there, but only because the stories were so strong. It wasn't really my writing technique. But she'd said to me before, she liked my writing. And then when I got up there, she said, do you want to have a commission for us? So, you know, it's the first kind of planes in. There's still chaos there. And yeah, so at least I could afford to sort of have, have a hotel, <laughs> eat. And that I did. Yeah, so I had that published, that, that work for them. And it was, you know, going around seeing the effects that the this uh, terrible earthquake had had on kind of more the women and the children. And in those countries, often it is the women and the children who kind of hold it all together. And from there, someone had said to me, um, Joe, why don't you write this story? And I was like, I don't want to write about myself. I like writing about other people, but not myself. Yeah. Go on. They, they were like, so a friend of mine like, had a friend in England and he's like, I'll help you pitch. And he'd written, he was a writer. He said, I'll help you. So it took about four years. And then that's what happened, really, with Firewoman. I'd kept this, all these travels, you know, gradually losing all my stuff here and there, giving it away. And you end up with, like, nothing. And I got one box of cuttings, and that was my fire service cuttings. And he said, you should, you know, you should. Uh... So that's what happened. And then four years later, Firewoman got, um, someone said yes. <laughs> wow. That was, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Job. In fact, actually, before I say thank you, is there anything else missing? Was I don't that, think so. I think that's uh, it, isn't it? Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so thank you for sharing that. I think it's, um, I, I, I think I, I often say that this, this, so this podcast has been downloaded in 155 different countries. I think Joe Reynolds has been to more countries than this podcast has been downloaded in, which is um, honestly a phenomenal um, journey story. Um, what are your key lessons from your journey so far, if you have to like pick two or three things that have been fundamental 
to your journey what would they be i think probably working out um volunteering for in southeast asia in in cambodia for setter because when i what when i do anything now if i've got loads of things to do i still help them i've got a tree program running where we sponsor a tree a fruit tree so i take the money over here 10 pounds for a fruit tree with a tag and they they grow them on their farms from seeds and then so when i do that work that kind of gives me the most pleasure so that kind of being supporting something that you believe in isn't necessarily about you know yeah we all need to eat so there's we need to earn money but essentially the stuff that gives me most satisfaction in life is that connection still because it's so alive you know even though i haven't been there for a really long time it's it's just as you know as strong as it ever was yeah i love that supporting something that you believe in and i think throughout your story and throughout your journey you have believed it, it comes across like you believed in yourself um have, have you, is that fair to say have you believed in yourself or, or no, not? I don't and I don't start, I don't know whether I don't know whether it was something that happened when I joined the fire service or whatever it was was in me that I was able to join the fire service I still don't know because I don't really you don't really know you don't know yourself do you you know no. when you see yourself often you see things that aren't quite right you know this isn't I can't do this I can't do that I'm not that person and that whole imposter thing but I don't know it is obviously a character trait in me that I don't fear anything really (laughs) no I I mean no you don't I think your story your journey is is one of of variety I'm just I'm just gonna use the word variety Uh, there's so there's so much in there isn't there um if you had to give a piece of advice to the 17-year-old first female firefighter, knowing what you know now, what would you yeah. tell yourself? I'd say don't have any doubts in yourself. Just really believe in yourself all the time. I'd still still say that now. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you get to on your journey. You still think, well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm here, but like what the next part I don't know what's going to happen next and you know hopefully I've got a few years so I think really the same advice would be just totally believe in in the in yourself and your ability to try yeah yeah love that love that what's what's your definition of success Joe oh gosh yeah I think that maybe when you can sleep at night or you know you've been able to support people I think it's also about supporting people really I think that maybe there's a thread there you know that the fire service very much about helping people being in Southeast Asia when I got to Cambodia and you get involved in these projects or whatever project you even at like food bank here there is always something when you when you're supporting someone it doesn't it just takes you to a completely different level of you know it just makes you feel really good about yourself yeah yeah, and I think throughout your whole story, it has been about supporting of other people. Whether it's when you were when you were telling me about the um, the challenges that you had being the first female, and the some of the conversations or challenges that you were faced with at that point in time, your first thought or your thought what what you said earlier on was um, what would happen if they didn't let any other women in. It wasn't about yeah. you. You were you were supporting the cause for 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 others. Um, you you work in Cambodia supporting others. When I said a couple of minutes ago about um, uh, summarising, you, you said it's about supporting people with a, and having that purpose. And and the, the fruit tree story is all about supporting of others. When you when you articulated about when you started writing, one thing that you said when you said about writing, it was um, your writing may not have been brilliant. But the stories of, of the of the people were 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 sort of such strength that that people would would pay money for those and, and they would read those and, and stuff. Um, and it was about the women and the children and and how they all uh, held it all together. So I, I think when you said about there is a thread through it, your thread through your journey is the supporting of others, um, and it's quite if it, and and I saying that now when forty minutes ago. You opened up with "I am an independent woman." It's a little bit. It conflicts a little bit. You, you, yeah. 
doesn't it? No, you're right. It does conflict. You're absolutely right. I'm independent, but only as I'm like drawn into something else to yeah. you're, you're, <laughs> fight you're the in, battle. <laughs> yeah, you're independent. So like you'll, you'll, you'll back yourself, you'll believe in yourself, you'll fight for yourself as long as it's helping other people. Yeah, I guess most it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. Wow. How did they convince you to write a book? Oh, he kept on and on and on. I mean, yeah, so I was actually living, I was living with a photographer on Koh Samui, Martin Goodacre. He was like, in the day, he took the ones, the photographs of like Kurt Cobain and all these rock gods. So he had like this amazing pedigree. And when he used to work, his partner, the writer, he'd go out on these uh, <laughs> uh, projects with was a chap called Paul Moody. And um, so I'm there with, in, in Thailand with Martin and, and, and they're talking about, you know, as I did. And so Paul Moody's in England working as a, as a rock journalist now. And Martin's in there and they're talking away. And yeah, so Paul had published a couple of books by now. And then Martin kept saying to him, you should see she's got a story, you know, she's got a story. And, I'm, and they, they'd be looking and they're on the internet together, you know, looking at women firefighters. And they get saying, Joe, you should really work on your story, you know. And I'm like, I didn't, just did not see it. And it kept it on and on, literally on, 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 on. And in the end, I said to Paul Moody, next time I come to England, I'll come and see you. He's like, come and see me. So when I next visited the UK, I went to see Paul. And then, you know, that was the start of it. He, we put together, a, you know, a, a chat, a four chapter pitch. The trouble was I've got a terrible memory. So I couldn't remember any, literally anything. Awful memory. If I see somebody that I can't, haven't seen for a while, I just don't remember the faces. And my memory's just awful so he's like well how would you have done that what would they have said and I was like I can't remember Paul so this is like the essence of the book was me going I so in the end I went through all my cuttings and worked on the stories and interviewed loads of people with him up in Norfolk you know people I've worked with and that's what kind of pulled the thing together so it's not so much a kind of a diary of oh, nine o'clock in the morning up I get it's more of the the essence of it all and true stories that actually did happen yeah, yeah, love it. What do you think's next for you? Oh, I've no idea. Yeah. No idea. If, if I'd have asked you that question at every stage of your journey, would you have given the same answer? Yeah, definitely. I like that, though. I don't like to be too... I don't. I actually don't want to know what's coming next. I like it to be a bit of a surprise, <laughs> not to force it. Yeah. Because generally things have come to me from nowhere, you know, from out of the blue, which I love. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. If you could summarise your journey mm. in, a, in a couple of sentences or a few words, how would you summarise your journey? Oh, my goodness, it's really hard to do. I guess quite blessed, actually, that yeah. I've been able to do it. Yeah, I, I love that because yeah, there's not many people that have travelled to as many places, had as many different experiences, overcome such challenges and being able to have the self-belief to to keep going as well like, like you have what would you say to somebody who um wanted to be who wanted to do something new who wanted to be the first at something or just wanted to try something for the very first time what advice would you give yeah there's like no fear in failure there's no there's no why why should anyone it's more about trying things if you don't try things you never know. I mean, you know, I've had this ridiculous life now and it's all just because I kind of, I always say yes. <laughs> it's like, yes, all right, enough I go, it's something else. <laughs> so yes, just say yes or just try, just try it because there's nothing to say. You don't have to carry on doing it if it doesn't work. That's the thing, you know, or change the circumstances. You don't have to be somewhere you don't need, don't want to be. Yeah, love it. Change nothing. it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your, your story and your journey as well. Uh, just a couple more really quick questions, Joe. Um, what are you having for your tea this evening? Your dinner? Curry. Your meal? Oh, your curry? What? What? How, how hot? I mean, are you somebody like foul hot, like uh, Vindaloo hot? That just bring me the hottest curry. I'll take on anything. Is that the type of person? I you love. Are? A, I do love a curry, but um, I like actually being in Thailand as well. Of course. You get used to such fantastic, all oh, Asia, the food is so good. 
and I can so we found a little shop here in town that sells all these amazing ingredients but it's never quite the same but we've got chickpea and cauliflower but so I think I can eat quite a hot curry but at, at this shop they sell naan breads but they've they got uh, chili on them so really hot yeah, and I couldn't even like eat a mouthful of that, so I'm pretty much a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> but but you give it a go, you still try to. That's the, the moral of your story. Um, yeah, give it perfect. a go. Yeah, no, no, completely no. Thank you for that. And uh, final question: If people want to find out more about Joe, where would they go? What would they do? Yeah. What would they find? I knew you'd ask me this. I always forget my links. Actually, let me have a quick look on my uh, card. No problem. Uh, it's, it's actually um, if I send you the links afterwards, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'll put all the links in the in, in the description. The, the links it, will be yeah, there. Uh, yeah, which, I, which, which social media profiles can people find you on most? It's a firewoman one on jet on um, on um, on Facebook. This is yeah. what my brain's like. See, I've got no memory <laughs> for these things. Yeah, and then Instagram, it's like fire. No, Twitter. Pardon me. It's like firewoman Joe, and I think. Twitter, Instagram are pretty much Firewoman Joe. Perfect. Perfect. No, thank, thank you so much. For, yeah, but by all means, yeah, send us the details and I will, uh, I will pop them into the description so people thank can you. Uh, see them by it. But Joe, honestly, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story to, uh, with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and just hear some of the, the I mean, you called it ridiculous and you also called it blessed. Um, and I, I think it's just a, a, a fantastic um, journey that you've had so far so uh so thank you for that and thank you for sharing your lessons with oh, me today thank you lee thank you so much take care loving thanks for listening to business problems solved you can contact lee on linkedin facebook instagram or twitter by searching for lee horton the business problem solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.